We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. It is Thursday, December 14th. Quite a bit to get to on today's podcast, as always, on Thursdays. Um, obviously, we need to address Kelly Oubre's accessory choices earlier this week. Um, I know you have tons of thoughts about the forthcoming Eminem album, which releases tonight officially, although I think it actually leaked last night. Um, we're going to talk some prospects, but first, Paul George and the Oklahoma City Thunder back in Indianapolis last night. One of the ugliest games of the entire season. Uh, I know you and I kind of watched part of parts of it uh, last night while getting smoked for the second week in a row uh, at Bar Trivia at a local watering hole. But the Thunder came away with a 195 win. Obviously, the bigger story was Paul George being back in Indiana. I had heard a lot of people say yesterday and, and earlier in the week leading up to the game that they didn't think Paul George would be booed. They didn't think there was all that much reason for hostility, you know, especially with how things have somewhat worked out, I guess, for the Pacers, who are four games above 500. That was not the case. He was booed heavily. Uh, it certainly wasn't a LeBron back in Cleveland the first time or Durant back in OKC level, but maybe a notch below uh, those two situations. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised fans are 
not very uh, reasonable. They're not very logical when it comes to their best players leaving for perfectly legitimate reasons. <laughs> um, I, I, just, mean, I think if it's ridiculous that people thought he wouldn't get booed, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you're not... There's no doubt in my mind. The only way, like, a guy goes back and doesn't get booed is if it's just a guy that, like, played his whole prime somewhere. Like, you know, like, KG will always get... Um, applause if he goes to Minnesota because he's mm-hmm. the best player in the history of the franchise. Like he didn't ask for a trade until it was just really kind of the <laughs> clock was ticking on his on his title window. So <laughs> by the time he asked for a trade, it was like, come on guys. Like you, you see by the what time I'm doing he here. asked <laughs> for a trade, I think T Wolves fans were like hoping that he could go get yeah, a title. Like it, it, the fans had become more fans of him than the team right. at that point. Uh I mean yeah, a guy like Paul George can't leave a town and I mean it's sad. I I don't see anything wrong with what he did. No. Like I think it I mean the the only way that he would have been at fault at all is if he knew that he was leaving the whole time and then like for some reason like told ownership that he wasn't going right. to leave and so they couldn't get anything for him but they were able to get something for him and uh yeah I mean I, I don't know I I don't think that they would have had really any relevancy in that that run they had where they were the second best team in the east for like mm-hmm. three or four years without him so I don't I don't see why there's any hard feelings on either side there I think he could have approached it with a little more tact as far as, you know, this time last year when the, the rumors started to circulate. Or I mean, honestly, it wasn't even rumors. It was more reports, I guess, at that point that he had told them, you know, I want out. And I think he kind of tried to play the the Good Samaritan, like, hey, I'm letting you know ahead of time. But while I think his, his heart was in the right place with that, I, I think the fact that that became public and that he had to play basically an entire half season with fans knowing what was going on behind the scenes like it rubbed people the wrong way and I, I don't think he meant to to leave Indiana on bad terms but for the most part it's it's worked out for both sides like obviously Oklahoma City is not winning as much as Paul George thought they would but he got out of Indy he got to play with other superstars and they got a package back that initially didn't look so great but you know at, at least now especially given what other superstars have been traded for in the last 12 months Looks like a pretty reasonable return, uh, given how well Oladipo has played. Did you see yesterday uh, Pacers GM Kevin Pritchard was apparently, I saw screenshots of this, was apparently going back and looking at tweets from, was it August and that trade happened? I remember we were at a Madison Mallards baseball game when, when that went down. So it was, it was either late July or August. Basically, Kevin Pritchard was searching old tweets about that trade the night it happened and was like favoriting all these tweets that were bashing the return that the Pacers got for, so he's, for PG. he's claiming victory on the, yep. the trade. Right, and we should cool. note that the Pacers lost. And Victor Oladipo, as good as he's been, was 9 for 26 from the field, was 1 of 9 yeah. from 3. Not that Paul George was all that much better. I mean, I would venture the guess that this is the first game that OKC has won where Mello, George, and Russell Westbrook combined for 10 made field goals and took something in like 45 shots. Yeah, I would I'd wager that as well. <laughs> Take uh, that bet. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think he's having a great time this year. Like I, I oh, think no. that this is probably I, I kind of disagree about it working out for both sides. Like, I mean, this has probably gone about as poorly as he could have imagined it going. Uh I mean, I think he would he'd rather be in like LA on a rebuilding team just because then he'd be living in LA he'd rather be you know on a on a winning team elsewhere but now he's kind of got the the worst of both worlds Mm -hmm. where he's in Oklahoma City and the team's not winning and he has to play with Russell Westbrook who seems like maybe the the toughest guy to play with in the league so I I mean he's he's probably counting down Mm -hmm. the days until free agency and I I would 
be very shocked if he stayed in Oklahoma City at this point. Alex and I talked about this on Tuesday. It's like, what would Paul George do knowing what he knows now? You know, if he could go back, would he just play out his final season in Indiana and then kind of have the same process go forth over the summer? Would he stay, you know, would he do OKC again? Would he have gone somewhere else? And I'm with you. I think he would have still left Indiana because if he's on this team now, obviously you don't have Oladipo. You're basically running it back last year. You probably get somewhere between the six and the eight seed in the East and you're out in round one and round two. Like that, that's a given. But like you said, he, I mean, if he goes to the Lakers, even if he went somewhere else where Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony are not, uh, I, th- I think he'd be happier individually. I mean, he some credit is deserved, I think, that this team, for all the struggles that they've had, like it doesn't seem like it's this complete tire fire, you know, internally. Like, I'm sure there are frustrations that we don't know about, but, you know, we're a third of the way into the season and there hasn't been any sort of major media blow up. There hasn't been any reports of you know, infighting between those three guys. But we're also getting to the point now where it's like, if you don't figure it out by game, like 30, 40, 50, like at what point can you start, can you kind of stop expecting something to just magically click? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I think it it's going to get better than what it is right now, but I think that they are not going to have home court in the playoffs and in the first round. And at that point, you're probably going to play one of those top three teams and, you know, you, you might get swept. I think he would still prefer being in OKC than being in Indiana mm-hmm. just because, you know, people actually care about the Thunder and, like, he's on a bunch of national TV games. He's going to be in the postseason most likely. They have those cool alternate uniforms <laughs> that they wore last night. Uh, I mean, it's 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 better for – it's probably better for his brand that he's in a relevant situation than an irrelevant situation, but this is – it's still probably gone about as bad as he would have imagined it going. I wouldn't bet on them getting a top four seed, but this team is also two and a half games behind Minnesota, who's currently fourth. And I don't well, know right, if- there there isn't. There's three really really good teams, and there's not a fourth no. really really good team in the West. So it, I mean, it is kind of up for grabs. I mean, OKC was that team, right? Like coming into the year, they were the team that I think we could pencil in at three or four behind OK or behind mm-hmm. Golden State and Houston. San Antonio, of course, is always going to be in that conversation. I think if Denver had stayed healthy. I think it, the four seed would be theirs to lose, but they, I mean, right. they, they're without their two best players and they're going to be without their second best player for quite a while. Right. Jokic actually came back the other night, limited, came off the bench, so, you know, probably going to be a few games until he's back up to full speed. But yeah, I mean, they've, they're 15 and 13. They've been good. Minnesota, it feels like the same way. It's like they're in fourth, which is probably like positionally where they should be in the West, but it also doesn't feel like it's been, you know, there's a huge gap, like you said, between the top three. And then that that kind of second tier of Minnesota, Denver, Portland, New Orleans, and OKC. And I guess you can maybe throw Utah into there. Although the Jazz have now lost four in a row. And someone point th- pointed this out on, on Twitter last night. Their upcoming schedule is at Boston, at Cleveland, at Houston, at OKC, the Spurs at home, Thunder at home, at Denver, at Golden State, Cleveland, New Orleans, at Denver. Like that's got to be the toughest 10 or 11 game stretch that almost any team will face all year. Yeah. And you're, you're, and you're beginning that with back-to-back <laughs> losses in Milwaukee and Chicago. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's not, not going to be pretty. I mean, that on paper, they just don't look like a team that should be competing for anything better than the seven or eight seed, just based on the inefficiency of, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky Rubio just hasn't fit the way that I think they envisioned him fitting and, Granted, Donovan Mitchell's been a lot better than they probably thought he'd be in, in year one, but 
Mitchell and Rubio just it's it's not a good fit with those two guys on the court at the same time. So it's it's kind of a mess there. And then with Favors and Gobert, obviously uh, defensively you're good when they're both out there, but uh, offensively things kind of stagnate a little when they're both out there. So it's mm-hmm. it's just not a it's not a lineup that fits all that well right now. So I, I'd be surprised if they did better in the seven or eight seed. Where are you at on the Rockets in terms of how far behind they are from Golden State? I'm gonna make this like a weekly update. They basically slept walk their way to a double digit win over Charlotte at home last night, despite the best efforts of my good friend Dwight Howard, who had twenty six and eighteen. Uh I mean what 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 do you mean by the question? Is it like how far are they like how regular big is the season? Gap? Like or No, playoffs? and like in terms of when if you're talking chances to win a title how how big is the gap between those two teams um <laughs> i don't know i don't know how to <laughs> phrase it i would like, like this in centimeters no i don't like, you know what I, I mean it's i just i would never i wouldn't even contemplate picking them to beat the warriors in okay. the playoff series right now okay but that's I all mean, you need to there's, say there's there's just but there's nothing they could do during the regular season that would have me change my mind so if we're going to do this every week mm-hmm. it's going to be the same answer <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, let's step aside for just a second to remind the listeners that the Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. It's fantasy basketball for everyday fans. FanDuel offers new contests starting every day, which means no busted seasons. There's something for everyone on FanDuel, tons of contests to choose from starting at just $1. All you have to do is pick a contest, select your players, and watch your score in real time. I know I'll be playing tonight. I know you'll be playing tonight. I know pretty much everybody in the office out there will be playing tonight. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, all you have to do is sign up today at fanduel.com slash RW. That will get you a free six-month subscription to Rotowire with your first deposit on FanDuel. Again, all you have to do is visit fanduel.com slash RW. Void where prohibited. We are also brought to you by SportsYard. SportsYard is the latest daily fantasy soccer entertainment platform offering fun, fast, and fair contests. SportsYard brings an enhanced platform with the fastest real-time participant point total updates, high-quality, user-friendly applications, fun and engaging graphics, and a level playing field that will allow beginners the same opportunity to win as the experts. Create your dream team roster with no salary cap. Track your point standings in real time and feel like you're the one walking the sideline. It's easy to play, and it's even easier to win with SportsYard's lightning-fast interface and clear and current ranking system. SportsYard has signed a deal with Opta. They are the number one data provider for live sports scores, and the company plans to grow outside of the United States. So if you're in the UK, if you're in Spain, Australia, Ireland, uh, SportsYard will be available soon. And all you have to do is go to www.sportsyard.com to sign up and play for free today. So we'll, we'll start with Kelly Oubre, uh, who wore a Supreme brand leg sleeve earlier this week. I believe it was on Tuesday night. Uh, he wore it to begin the game, and I think at halftime he removed it. He was told to remove it by the NBA, um, which he cooperated with, uh, although he had some some pointed comments about that situation after the game. Um, so that led us to talking about like, who are, who are your favorite bench players in the league? And obviously Oubre, um, if you're talking about the wizards 
is far and away their coolest bench player. Uh, but I asked you to compile a list of, I don't know how many people you put on this list. Well, you told me to put together a 12-man roster. Oh, that's right. And it's okay. not, it's mostly bench players, but I it's it's like role players. Okay, uh, so your favorite 12 role players. And I thought you were going to be doing one too, but nope. apparently you just, you're, was you're a, sandbagging that me. That was a psych. And... Here I am with my my roster of twelve, and I guess you're gonna pick it apart. Uh, well, we'll see. So I have it sort of in order of like this: the starting five would be Tyus Jones, Luka Doncic, who is not in the NBA but is playing professionally Getting and, an and needed, sure. needed to be on the list. Uh, Kelly Oubre at the three, Laurie Markkinen at the four, and Stephen Adams at sure. the five. So, was there any criteria beyond, like, I just like watching this guy play that uh, went into this? I like the, like, there's something that they do that I really like. Uh, okay. Like, if I was, like, a GM, I would want them on my team because of X and because sure. of Y. And, like, they're, a lot of these guys have shortcomings, obviously, because they're they're role players. They're not stars. And, you know, a lot some of them just aren't really good defenders and probably won't be. Some of them have trouble scoring or really, you know, causing havoc on the offensive end. And, you know, I think that if you have a bunch of players where their skills kind of complement each other, you can overcome that. So I just kind of built a team where uh, I think the pieces fit pretty well. And I think, like, if you have Tyus Jones and Luka Doncic, like, it's it's a very – it's a very nice pairing. You are not going to find any other podcast that discusses the hypothetical Tyus Jones, Luka Doncic backcourt. What is it about Tyus Jones? I don't understand this. Like I'm personally, and I've been very clear about this. Tyus Jones played a large role in the Wisconsin Badgers losing the national championship game four years ago now. Um, so ever since then, I mean, I, I haven't really had a choice. Like I just, I don't like him. I don't support him. Whatever he does, that's you know, that's great. You know, I hope his his family does well. Things like that, but. I mean, I'm out on Tyus Jones. <laughs> I'm out. You're out. What about him makes you think, what did you say yesterday? You think he could be a top 25 no, I, I point said guard? He's a, I said he's a top 30 point guard in the league. Okay, and sure. The, so part of the reason why I sort of gravitate towards him is that I just don't think he's had a fair shot in the league in terms of, like, you know, when, when he was, uh, you know, you had Chris Dunn and Ricky Rubio there last year, and he was kind of, third on the totem pole there even though I think you know I, I would have argued he was just as good if not better than both of those guys last year this year they go sign uh Jeff Teague which obviously you know if you have playoff aspirations you don't want to go in the year into the year with Tyus Jones as your starting point guard but uh I just don't think he's gotten the type of I don't like the situation for him like if he had been you know in Phoenix or in Sacramento or something like that this whole time or the Reno Bighorn sure yeah. yeah I think he would have uh I think people would kind of respect his game a bit more I I just I kind of like him because I think he I mean he's sort of a uh Corey Joseph type of point guard where like he's just never like he's not gonna hurt you with his decision making he knows his role like I still kind of like that type of point guard. That's kind of a, like a '90s style point guard versus like today, where it's just you the usage rates off the charts. Like with this mm-hmm. starting five, it would be millennial point guards and their usage rates. Yeah, like I, I just I think that he's a he's a winning player. That if he like was on a properly run team, I think it, he would really really shine in the right situation. 
Well, I mean, he's only 21, so plenty of time for that. Uh, I, re- I regretfully respect your decision to include him as your starting point guard. Steven Adams, we should probably touch on quickly. Uh, he's been incredible this year. I mean, the numbers don't look, you know, they're not insane. 14 points, about nine rebounds, but he's shooting 65% from the field. Anytime you watch the Thunder, as much as the, the big three struggle, he's the kind of the one constant, always, you know, doesn't really see him to be afflicted, you know, no matter if they're losing or winning, he's still going to be the same guy. And he looks more athletic to me this year. Like some of the finishes that he's had over yeah. these first 25 games have been incredible. I mean, other than Doncic, like he's the best player on this team. I mean, he's got close to a max deal, so it's not, it's kind of cheating to put him on, but he is, I think he's like the best role player in the league. He's, he's clearly not a star. He's never going to make an all-star team probably. Uh, and yet, I think he just when he's out there, mm-hmm. it's just he's so physical down low. I, uh, if I was an opposing big man, I, I would think he'd be my least favorite guy to go up against. Uh, if I was on offense and he was on defense, yeah. like it's just it's going to be a, a really painful night. I mean, he he's good at kind of the cheap shot that's not uh, cheap in like a way where it's crossing the line but it he's good at like kind of instigating stuff where the other person gets upset mm-hmm. possibly gets teed up uh possibly like lets his emotions get the better of him uh which obviously you, you don't like if you're going up against that guy but it, right. you'd love to have that on your team and he's he's a guy that just does not need touches at all to be happy like he was happy to just let russell westbrook get all the rebounds right. last year and was just fine with it and, and basically do like free pr for russell westbrook's yeah. mvp campaign yeah, and he's year. he's like self degrading too, yep. like which is so rare for an NBA player to like talk about how bad they are at something. Like he'll right. like he'll go on about how terrible of a shooter he is and stuff like mm. that. Like it's it's kind of refreshing. So uh, definitely one of my favorite players. I think he's a great uh, chemistry guy too. So he's got to be very high on the list of like if you did some sort of blind poll of like guys you just don't want to fight you know players in the league like and but he also but like you said he's not I don't think people would consider him a dirty player you know you never hear him talked about in the same way as like a DeMarcus Cousins you know like oh you know you might set him off on a given night like he he well, does a very good job of towing the line between like he's enforcer but not dirty he's such an enforcer and like the top of that list of guys you don't want to fight like he's so intimidating in that sense that he never has to do anything right you're never gonna see exactly. like steven adams getting into no he doesn't a, need to prove fight. to anybody like, that like, he's nobody's gonna actually come at him right. that way where he would actually have to step up and do something mm. um and he's not like when when you hear when you see like a guy like yelling at him and being held back and stuff like no. that he's just kind of smiling yeah like, he's okay. like come at me see what <laughs> if you really want to do yeah, this let's like, do this uh okay so let's get to the bench all right so the two the two bench guards are DeJounte Murray and Frank Mason. Frank Mason, okay. Yeah. Um, fan, fan sure. of both. I of was never guys. a big fan of his at Kansas, but he's he's been good. He's been much better than I thought he would be so I, far. I wasn't a huge fan of his at Kansas, but I was a a really uh, huge fan of his at the combine. Like I I was just shocked at how uh, you know usually you'll see that type of guy like so like Milo Trembo is like a good example of like a guy who who can like dominate at times in college and then you get him on the floor with these like fast athletic long players who are all going to play in the NBA in, in some capacity and it just doesn't look the same at all as it did in college and yet he was out there he was the smallest guy out there and he was still clearly like one of the fastest guys out there he 
is a much better athlete than I think people realize just based on the fact that he was like a, mm-hmm. a four year player at Kansas. Like you don't expect him to be a great athlete, but he is. And he can, uh, he can make some tough finishes. He's a, a really good shooter off the dribble and catch and shoot. I, not, not a guy that you want starting at all, but a guy that I think you would be happy to have as like your eighth or ninth man who comes in and, and gets you some offense off the bench. He at the combine, I think my guess is that teams that scouted him saw exactly what they wanted to see out of a guy his age, out of a guy with his college pedigree. Um, you know, he was, it's not, he was, there was no wow moments for him, but you would, you know, at the combine, they'll hand you these like printed off box scores at the end of each quarter. Mm-hmm. And you're looking, he's got, you know, he's leading the team in scoring. He's got four assists. He's got three rebounds. He's not missed, you know, he's making his layups. He's getting to the rim and getting fouled. Like there's no, in a setting like these scrimmages, when it's a lot of guys who are jockeying for position from 25 to 70, you know, in prospect rankings, there you see a lot of one-on-one. You see guys trying to make plays that they probably can't make. And Heaves was, like you said, the opposite of Melo Trimble in that way, where he's, he just played it like he had played at Kansas, like let the game come to him. And I haven't gotten a chance to watch him a ton in Sacramento. I, I don't watch a lot of Kings garbage time, but the numbers are good. You know, I mean, the fact that he's in that rotation, even though it's a bizarre rotation. I mean, I don't know how you would uh, – I haven't really dug in and compared their numbers on the season, but, I mean, there have been games where Mason's been better than Fox. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely, uh, which isn't all that surprising in the grand scheme. Right, of I mean, there, there's there's a reason why four-year players typically aren't that good in the NBA, but, like, one of the things that a guy like – uh mason brings to the table is he's kind of a finished product like there's not there's not all this stuff he has to constantly be working on in practice like it's just can you do this in the game or can't you because he's he's kind of got everything that you would look for and and he's been able to to Mm -hmm. get to most of it in games yeah i mean same reasons and darius thornwell obviously injuries played a lot of part in that but reason he's been in the clippers rotation pretty much all year okay so that's seven guys right yep that's five more uh Trey Lyles and Rashawn Holmes. I can't believe Trey's not starting. Trey Lyles is he's he's buckets off the bench, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a guy that just comes in, gives you 25 minutes and if he's hot, he might get you 20 points in those 25 minutes, but he's he's such a bad defender and kind of has such a a shaky motor especially on the defensive end that like you don't I don't think if you're a team with the aspiration of winning games that you want him playing more than like 25, 28 minutes because it's just, well, it's, it's exhausting for him to come in and have to carry that second (laughs) unit. Like he physically can't play that many minutes. I mean, he's, he just comes in, looks for a shot. Uh, I mean, he's, it's been fun to kind of watch it. I mean, if you look at how efficient he's been on offense, you're probably like, well, why isn't this guy playing more? And then you watch him play defense, and you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I, I get it now. I understand. Um. <laughs> so his last uh, 13 games when he's like actually been in the rotation, 10.7 points, 5.5 rebounds and assists, uh, one combined steal and a block, 49% from three, 51% from the field. I, it does make you wonder, like, who won that trade for I mean, Donovan Mitchell? I don't, I don't think it really makes you wonder, but uh, <laughs> it – you know, we're we're getting to the rest of my guys. I mean, Tyler Lydon's on there, obviously. Um, no, no, he's not. He um, better not be. But, but so, I mean, you can't. I like. I I think it's almost impossible at this point for the Nuggets to win that trade. Like, at it's, <laughs> I think it's just over. Like the the trade is over. Um, it's, but it's, it's not. Over. Like it could have been so much worse. Like if Trey Lyles had been as bad as I think a lot of people thought he was when the trade happened, then it's like yeah, one of the all time 
ripoffs ever, and it still might even go down as that, but it's at least they got a competent yeah. rotation player out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a bad trade. It's a really bad. Trade. I, I talked about this with Alex the other day, and like his argument was like, well, you know, I mean, Denver didn't really need a, another guard, which yeah, is which is clearly part of their thought process there. But like, did they need another power forward either? They I don't needed, know. I think they did need another guard. <laughs> that's I what I argue. said. I was like, what do you mean they don't need another guard? <laughs> they like, have Jamal Murray I, and Gary Harris. Yeah, and, like that's literally it. Like I think in their Bar, mind, guess, obviously, you're thinking, okay. Gear, or uh, Jamal Murray and or Moutier are going to take the next step. You know, I we don't see, need another guard in there. How could they have but thought that? Like, how could they have possibly... Oh, Trey Lyles dunk. Um, oh, how could is. they have possibly thought that there was another step there for Emmanuel Moutier to take? Look, I don't know. I mean... I'm, I know you're in shock of just that, that yeah, posterization have, of Jason They just Tatum. showed this Trey Lyles dunk on Tatum like six times in a row on the TV in our studio. And I did. he's actually... <laughs> Hanging on Tatum's shoulders yeah. after the dunk. Classic okay. move. <laughs> ten out of ten reaction from that bench too, including <laughs> including Tyler Lydon, hey, who has played two NBA minutes this hey, year. Go Tyler Lydon. Um, I mean, this was brought up. You probably heard this. It was on the, the one of the ESPN pods earlier this week. Tim McMahon asked, "Would you rather have Gordon Hayward at the max, or would you rather have Donovan Mitchell right now if you're the Jazz?" I think Donovan Mitchell, right? Yeah. So. Donovan Mitchell on his contract or right. Gordon Hayward on the contract that he's Nobody's signed. arguing that Donovan Mitchell's better than Gordon Hayward, but given all the factors at play. I mean, I guess, but it's still, I, they're never going to get a wing slash guard mm-hmm. as good as Hayward is. Like, I don't think, I don't think Mitchell's ever going to be as good as Hayward is. So like, I, it's, it's tough because the, I think that their front office would probably tell mm-hmm. you like, we really wish we had Hayward because we're confident that we can find maybe not guys quite as good as Mitchell in the draft, but like yeah. you can find like score first guards or, you know, defensive minded guards mm-hmm. uh, either on the cheap or in the draft. Like you can't find all-star caliber two-way wings really anywhere other than free agency. I mean, you maybe hit on one of those guys once every like 15 years in the yeah. draft. So who you asked me this earlier this week, like what's a cop for Donovan Mitchell long-term? Well, I think his. I just think his. There's there's a lot of similarities between him and Russell Westbrook as at this stage in their like when Russell Westbrook was a rookie versus when Donovan Mitchell's a rookie right now. Like, I'm definitely not saying. I mean, nobody would have seen Westbrook's rookie season and said that he was going to go on to be like this dominant, you know, top five player in the league, uh, which he was, you know. Two years ago, and, and right, I don't year. remember what I thought about his rookie year. I mean, it's, I, it's long enough ago. He was one of those guys. I were you? I was high on him, like coming out. Oh and, yeah, like, I love the pick. I, he was a guy where I was just always very uh, aggressive about my projection for him. But um, you still don't. You're, you're not sitting there saying like this guy's going to win an MVP someday. Like, well, we didn't know much about him. You know, like he had had. He was basically like a bench player for most of his career at UCLA, and. You know, I think he killed it in workouts and you I think, know, showed flashes at UCLA. But no one was like, all right, you're taking this guy at four and he's going to be as good as he turned out to be. Like, I think people, you know, had high expectations, but certainly not this. So the, the reason why I think they're very comparable is you have the, the great length. Um, I mean, nobody's as good as an athlete as, as Westbrook is, but like Mitchell's, Mitchell's a really good athlete. Really, both of them are extremely aggressive. Uh, especially on offense, like you rarely see a rookie come in and just 
be that assertive uh, mm. with the ball in his hands as as Mitchell is, and I, that that reminds me of Westbrook. The efficiency, like the willingness to just be such a high volume score while the efficiency's not that great. Even though for Mitchell it's gotten a lot better, yeah. but like there, you know, his first fifteen games, he was shooting like thirty eight percent from the field, and yet he was taking you know, 15, 20 shots a game. So, like, that that part reminds me of Russell. Do you bit. think that's a skill? Like, is that something if you're a team evaluating a player, you're like, okay, this is good, you know, like he has that alpha dog mentality or can it kind of go both ways? I think it just it tells you about the player's range of outcomes. Like, mm-hmm. it, it tells you, well, this guy could end up being just a chucker who's a black hole and is, like, a net negative, but there's also this ceiling of, like, number one, option yeah where he's very comfortable in that Mm -hmm. role whereas there's other players where they just they don't have that in them to take that many shots and to like keep shooting when they're they're not hitting them so like that aspect the you know i think you know when westbrook first came into the league and i and this was like a long kind of myth that that he was able to kind of carry for like six or seven years before people started catching on that he wasn't that great of a defender but like I remember him as a rookie sophomore third year like you would think of him and just his his length and everything and you'd just be like well that's a one of the best defensive players in the league yep. even though it wasn't necessarily backed up and like with Mitchell you kind of see that potential like just because of the the wingspan the ability to guard both guards spots uh I mean the the rebounding potential is kind of similar with those two so i i think that they're he's on a similar at a similar place as westbrook was as a rookie um definitely not projecting him to be that good but the comp i gave you is oladipo you know could he and we're talking like kind of if you could like mix oladipo now versus the oladipo we've seen the last four years like somewhere in there seems pretty realistic to me and like if, if oladipo keeps getting better it's like certainly mitchell is about because Oladipo was actually really good as a rookie. Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that. Like numbers wise, it's probably going to be really close where Mitchell was mm-hmm. and where Oladipo was. Like I think a similar path like that, you know, like like you said, Westbrook seems like too high of a projection. Do you, but do you think it's safe to say that Oladipo looks like a reasonable floor at this point? Like how? Could, uh, yeah, what, I think what would have to happen for him to have a worse career than Oladipo's like sure. first four or five years? Uh, that's a good. Po- I mean, injury obviously, sure. but. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of this is like we we probably misevaluated Oladipo for a few years. Like there was not like Victor Oladipo, like I said, put up really good numbers as a rookie on a bad team, and there was not nearly this much excitement as there is for Donovan Mitchell. You well, know, I think it's he was never. I, I don't think Oladipo was ever like as aggressive as Mitchell is this year. Like there there weren't games where like. Oladipo's taking like 25 shots you know yeah that's true I mean there was and part of this has just been the whole Gordon Hayward exit you know Mm -hmm. the Jazz kind of needed someone like Mitchell's come along at like the perfect time for this franchise but that is true and they were asking if I remember correctly weren't they asking Oladipo to like play point guard Mm -hmm. the one was kind of back and and forth just kind of so you had that that just kind of didn't really allow him to kind of spread his wings yeah he also Oladipo also was much more inefficient from three especially Uh than than Mitchell what about um, numbers-wise, Mitchell's really similar to Eric Gordon. Gordon, probably more of a spot-up shooter, especially at that point. But, you know, that I think that type of player, like not a Tier 1 star, but a very, very good second option who could make three or four All-Star games when it's all said and done, Yeah, seems he's, realistic. He's obviously like a, a hybrid of all, all the players we're talking about. Sure. Uh, I mean, Eric Gordon, 
first, second, third year of Eric Gordon, I mean, you you kind of were pegging this guy as I, I thought he was going to make multiple twenty two points a game in his third year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought he was going to end up being one of the best two guards in the league, and and he was his first couple of years. He was uh, an amazing defender. Mm-hmm. Like people, if you watch him now, I mean, he's not a bad defender, but you you wouldn't have guessed that he at one point was one of the best yeah. on ball defenders in the league. He. You know, a lot of people talk about injury what ifs, and it's like he's never had like the catastrophic injury that a lot of the you know Greg Oden, Brandon Roy guys like that you talk about. But he's well, just had so many things adding up he that also, he's just never. He also absolutely mailed in yes. uh, a couple of those uh, Pelicans years. Well, he tried to sign with the Suns, right? right? And then he told the Pelicans like, "Please don't match this," yeah. and they're like, "Well, no, we're going to match <laughs> we're it anyway." Match it. And then he was just like, "Well, I'm just going to be terrible yeah. for you guys for a while." Right. All things considered, like <laughs> the fact that he's 29 and like it, everything's back on track now, like he's he's had a pretty nice career considering all the injuries and all the bad positions that he's been in throughout basically his entire career. Uh, and I mean, back in 07, like there were recruiting services that ranked him ahead of Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. like respectable outlets. And there was a reason for that. I think he had, the injuries, especially at the end of his L.A. tenure, kind of kind of wore that luster off. Uh, let's talk about Trey Young real quickly. So we've talked, you know, on most Thursdays, we'll, we'll hit on. Do I get to. Oh, you have more. That's right. I'm I, sorry. I have a full 12 man roster. I thought request. we had gotten through them all. OK, sorry. So to catch everyone up. Frank Mason, DeJounte Murray, Trey Lyles, Rashawn Holmes, already Thank already accounted for, for on that the reset. bench. Uh, and then a couple uh, defensive-oriented wings and a couple floor stretchers, uh, Ronda Hellis-Jefferson and OG Ananobi, and then Davis Bertans and Jake Lehman out there stretching the floor. Uh, most of these guys, I will say, I, I expected to be on the list. Bertans, I did not. Where love, where did Bertans. this come from? When did this start? I've, How long have you I've guys been, been seeing each other? Guy for a while. Um, have you? I'm, I'm a Bertans guy. Uh, okay. I, I think it was kind of unabashed Bertans guy. Midway through last year, I think I saw a couple Spurs games in a you know, maybe like a ten day span, and he was just out there just raining threes, and he he's just a very very Spurs player and i mean that as like the highest compliment where he knows exactly what his role is like he's he's like the ninth or tenth or eleventh guy on my bench so he's going to be getting you know Mm -hmm. maybe 12 minutes here and there and his only job is to stretch the floor same with jake layman and uh i mean i think you need I mean, no team, every team in the league would happily take Davis Bertans because he's going to shoot a a really high percentage from three. You don't have to give him any minutes. Like, they're just, there's only so many guys that can stretch the floor like that and not, like, kill you everywhere else. Like, he's, to me, he's better than, like, Toledovich. Um, Hey. Is that that, that an outlandish thing to say? Surprised he's not on this roster. (laughs) No, you know know where I stand on Toledovich, so I agree. Um... That's an interesting choice. Uh, he's playing. He's playing about nine minutes a game this year. Clearly, not not nearly enough, and that total probably not going to rise with Kawhi back. But I, I mean, I know there are you are you are right. A lot of teams would love to have him on their bench, but at the same time, he also seems like one of those guys that if he wasn't with the Spurs, could very easily have like never played an NBA minute in his entire life. And the Spurs, like every single year, they have four guys on this roster who have played minutes in the NBA for the Spurs who would never play on other teams. Matt Costello, for example, who is t- not a very good player at Michigan State, played in a game this year for the Spurs. Darren Hilliard, basically a D-leaguer. Derek White, we don't know about yet. He's been hurt. I'm just sorting by minutes played <laughs> here. Um, 
Brandon Paul from who was a, like not a good player at Illinois, really. Well. He's in the rotation for them. Bryn Forbes, mm-hmm. undersized player for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. He's in the rotation. Maybe like, they're it's just, crazy. They found a market inefficiency in Big Ten players who were overlooked in the draft. <laughs> More or less, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's a, it seems like that's where this is going. Uh, okay, Bryn so Forbes has had a couple like really good games for them. It's it's kind of crazy. He very much has. It's it's a little it's a little under, jarring yeah. to be honest. Bryn Forbes averaging like eighteen minutes a game for yeah, the Spurs. Yeah. Crazy. He was like plus fifteen or plus sixteen the other right. night. Right. <laughs> like, see, I was saying this to to my roommate the other night, who's a pretty big basketball fan, and I was we were watching the Spurs, and I'm like, if you would have told me when we used to watch these Wisconsin Michigan State games <laughs> that Bryn Forbes is going to be playing NBA minutes consistently for a team, I would have said, okay, it's either the Kings or the Spurs. It was one extreme or the other. He was either going to be on a team just because they had no one else, or it was the Spurs, and they they found a way to make him into a good player. Which they have. Uh, are we clear to talk about Trey Young now? Yeah, are you ready? I, 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 okay. I did my homework assignment. You left me high and dry, but no, so be it. Now, no, now, I didn't. There was a miscommunication. Now people know about twelve excellent NBA players to to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> uh, and one <laughs> European basketball player who was inexplicably on that list. Yeah. Uh, so Trey Young, we've we've talked about a lot of prospects uh, over the years on this podcast. And generally, we keep it to you know lottery guys or Luke Kennard, who ended up being a lottery guy. Fair enough, probably but, because of how much we talked about him. I mean, it, look, it didn't it didn't hurt, but it's gotten to the point with Trey Young now, where I don't know, had you heard of him before the season? Uh, no, I remember hearing it was a big deal when he went to Oklahoma because he had offers from everywhere, and you know he was like he was ranked anywhere from like fifteen to twenty five in most rankings. Uh, and it was kind of a big deal that he stayed home because obviously Oklahoma is not exactly a powerhouse, but he has been as as advertised. Probably the closest thing that we've seen to to Steph Curry in major conference basketball, uh, and obviously Curry didn't play in major conference, but that style of play uh, has worked really well for Oklahoma. They only have one loss. He's averaging twenty nine points per game, nine assists. Um, but there's still questions. I mean, if you look at mock drafts, this isn't a guy that you're going to see penciled into the top 10. He's only 6'2". They list him at 180. That seems fairly generous. Um, I mean, if he was two inches taller and weighed 15 more pounds, we're, we're looking at probably a top five pick. But the the issue of, like, can he actually do this against NBA caliber players at this size is is very real. But so far, you know, against non-conference teams, it's it's worked out. Do you think that these guys, uh, the the sort of undersized guard who is an amazing shooter, do you think that those guys are some of the toughest to evaluate before the draft? Because like you either you either have the kind of elite, um, like not not speed, but like quickness. Um, you're able to get your shot off really quick. You're able your handles are NBA caliber. And it's just hard to tell whether a guy has that when they're playing against college guys. Like, because if he if he's just, you know, if if he if he's I mean he's obviously not an NBA caliber athlete. Uh, I mean he just doesn't move like a typical NBA starting point guard. Right. It's I was just, surprised to see him listed at six two. Honestly, yeah. like he looks smaller out there. Yeah, and so the only way that you can really have all those like size limitations, speed limitations is if you're just so uh gifted at doing all the little things on offense like you're you're really good at, at dribbling you're really good at at getting your shot off in in a very small window 
Um, just all the things that like Steph Curry does, like in the half court. Right. That like, I mean, it, obviously you're not going to have Steph Curry's handles, but like he's just he's able to thrive when he's his size because he's so good at like all the little things, mm-hmm. and it's just so hard to know if a guy has that. So I would probably bet against him being uh, being a starter at really any point on a on a good team. I just it's hard to hard to see that happening. But I mean, the the numbers are pretty insane right yeah i mean it's, it's you got to think back to curry because like like we said we don't you don't want to you know use that hyperbolic comparison but there there just isn't another player i mean trey young will pull up seven feet behind the three-point line routinely you know so it and it, it's it's the same type of well this is going to be a trend though like there's oh yeah like, i agree over the next 10 15 years mm-hmm. uh guys that guys that do exactly this it's going to be a regular yes. thing and i actually think we're going to get to a point where the normal three-point efficiency is just gonna like you're gonna have guys coming in to college hoops shooting like 45 percent from three on a high volume because that's like they've come up watching steph curry and right. all they do exactly. all day long is shoot threes so yep. like I, I think that this is going to be a pretty normal type of prospect that's going to be tricky to evaluate because you just it's so hard to for these guys to get exposed against college right. players. Right. I think it's all the kids who were in like fourth through eighth grade when Curry really started going on that run, you mm-hmm. know, in 2013, 2014, watching that style of play. Whereas when you and I were growing up, you know, YouTube well, probably still in its infancy. Like I was not I was not trying to shoot that deep. No one was. was. I was watching Tracy McGrady. Right, I was watching was Iverson. Crossovers, one-on-one. Right. Like that, that's it was what, Kobe. It was Vince Carter. Like, look at what, I mean, even guys like Kobe and LeBron like came up watching Jordan. And then, yep. like, you know, everyone was just trying to be that one-on-one player that would just torch his guy right. in the half court and get to the rack and dunk and that type of thing. And, like, now it's just, like, I got to cross over, step back, yep. like, let it fly. Like, that's, that's what everyone's practicing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't think everyone knows there was, there was probably a kid on every middle school team and some high school teams who would try to, you know, do the Steph Curry type of stuff. Not, and this was before Steph was even doing it, but it just wasn't, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to play if you were going to play like right, that. Like, and like Steph has kind of broken down the door right. for like, if you're good enough at it. Anyone, anyone who would try to do that at like the rec, like everyone would just be like, get no. the hell out of here. Right. Like, and then it's like, and I still like, I feel like I'm still conditioned that way. Like if, if I go play with someone and they're shooting way behind the line, it's like, come on, man. But Steph is like I said he's kind of opened the door for that style of play where if you can make the shot it's a very effective style because it draws everybody out and makes people respect you you know 5 feet beyond where they normally do. So Young is going to test incredibly well on like all of the you know like Kevin Pelton like any kind of statistical system there is for for prospects like he's yeah. going to get spit out as either the first or second or third best prospect in the draft. And then it just kind of comes down to scouting and like yeah. where the skills fit in. Like, do you think he's like a sixth man? Like, do you think he's like an eighth man? Do you think he could possibly be like JJ Redick? Like, is there like, what, what type of role can he have? I don't know that he can be Redick. And the reason for that is what, what worries me is I think he's the type of player much like Curry who succeeds as like the guy mm-hmm. you know like I, I think and in some ways maybe you make him your backup point guard and you you just try to get him on like a Lou Williams type of trajectory I don't know that you can say like all right you're gonna spend some time off ball like that's not gonna work for him like if he's not doing 
his style of play, I don't think he's really very effective. Will he be a better or worse NBA player than Buddy Heald? <laughs> Is this just the Oklahoma comp or what? Well, Oklahoma and just like three point like uh, type of guys. That's man, that's tough. I did, I mean, this is in terms of you know notable prospects, maybe the biggest you know gap between his floor and his ceiling. And I don't think his ceiling is like ultra ultra high, but I think his floor is very very low. Right. His floor is he just can't play in the NBA. Right. Uh, because of not because of shooting, uh, but just because of he he just gets absolutely torched by mm-hmm. every guard he goes against in the NBA. He's not. Right, uh, big enough, fast enough, like just not athletic right. enough to play. And we're also yet to see, you know, beyond Curry and like to some degree, you know, Damian Lillard. Other there are other point guards who can hit those deep shots, but Curry's really the only one who does it on a consistent enough basis. Well, where it's like his a, his release is ridiculously yeah. fast, and then like Lillard does it because, like, I think Lillard is higher off the ground when oh, he yeah, releases his three than almost anyone in the league. Like he just that's how he gets it off in all those tough spots is mm. because he can get so high. Curry barely leaves the ground. Right. I mean, it's just a, it's a slight hop. Like yeah, a He doesn't even need to leave yeah. the ground. No, And and he has the handles to right. create the space. Well, and, the, and what you talked about you know, at the beginning of the segment, too, with Curry is like he's, he's reached a level intangibles-wise where you know, he, even when he's having an off-night shooting, it's not like he's just not, he's just not effective that night. You know? like, I think there were times early in his career where if, if his three-point shot wasn't falling – he just kind of wasn't going to be a factor, but he's so good at all the other things. Like just the, the attention that he commands, like the, the deception, mm-hmm. you know, when he, if he pump fakes, defenders don't know what to do. Like he can fling it behind his back to, to Draymond, you know, he can finish himself. He can pull up like it. I, obviously Trey Young's not nearly that complete of a player. And it, and granted it took Steph five, six years to get there. And you know, if, if Young's going to be anywhere near that type of player, it's not going to be instant. So what type of team would, be interested in him like would you he's interested in to be as like a the Rockets backup point guard sure I see if if he keeps going on this like if he keeps his pace up and his shooting numbers stay about where they're at I I don't see him falling outside the top 20 just because it's not after the top seven or eight guys there just aren't like who's got a better chance of being a, a good NBA player Trey Young or Trayvon Duvall like it's to me it's it's kind of a toss-up yeah. and like it's well you're gonna get into like if it's 15 it's like would you rather have like let's say Grayson Allen has a nice year it's like would you rather have Grayson Allen or Trey Young it's like the uh, the choice at that point is yeah, pretty clear it's I just it, there's not enough sure thing rotation players outside of the right. top eight or nine for him to fall outside the top mm-hmm. 20 just because like you said like there's a, it might only be eight or ten percent chance that he ends up being like a like a dominant three-point shooter in the league, but there is there is a chance that that happens. And it's still early, but it, this does remind me of the draft a couple of years ago where, I, what do we say, it was like a nine-player draft. And then granted, a couple of the guys after that, you know, Pirtle and Sabonis ended up being pretty decent, whereas Marquise Chris obviously wasn't. But after that, there's such a drop-off where you get like your Wade Baldwins and, what, and guys like that. And I think this draft is going to kind of be like that in some ways where – you might as well just throw the dart and hope you get something because the other player there, you know, the upside just probably won't really be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think Trey Young, like most, your average college basketball fan and your average NBA fan, NBA fan, doesn't know who Trey Young is right now, right? Like if we pulled the office, you know, this is these are pretty, you know, top five percent of sports fans probably, and I don't think most people out there would know who he is. If he keeps up these numbers in conference play, 
let's say Oklahoma finishes the year as like a top 15 team, mm-hmm. they get a three or a four seed and, and they win a couple games in the tournament. Like his, he's the type of player that will captivate fans. People don't really will, like casual sports fans don't really start paying attention no. to college basketball, like outside of their favorite team until after the NFL is done. So yeah, I mean, I think February is kind of around where people will start talking mm-hmm. about him a bit more. I mean, if you like one of, one of the reasons why I brought up Buddy Heald, not just the Oklahoma thing, but just, for where he started the year on draft boards to where he finished right. it when he came out, it, it to me it's kind of similar because he just kept being good and yep. kept being clearly one of the two best players in the country. And the shooting numbers were so good that even if there were a bunch of reasons to be like, well, b- maybe it won't translate, it was just he did too much stuff that you yep. could quantify for him to go outside the lottery. Right. It was, it's like, it was like Evan Turner when he, whatever year he was drafted, uh, what was that? 20 2007 something like that no not that long ago was it 2010 2010 2010 it was like i mean and evan turner's not a bad player by any means but he was an older guy he was just so so good for so long and that it just kind of got to the point where it's like well like this can't not translate Derek right williams and, sure well darren williams come on he was Derek there. williams oh Derek williams go cats he only had one big year though right but that's what buddy healed and evan turner had too right yeah, but I mean, I'm saying like over the course of a whole season, like Evan Turner right. was just like dominant start to finish that last year at Ohio State. Yeah, so was so was Derek Williams his last year at yeah. Arizona. I suppose I, I hate to throw out those comps already, but <laughs> I mean lofty comp. Yeah. Um, well, they play. If you're interested in watching Trey Young, they play at Wichita State on Saturday afternoon. That's a ESPN two game. So probably the biggest national exposure he's going to get at least to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay, let's wrap this up. New Eminem album coming out. Revival. That's coming out at midnight. New Jeezy album. It's got a Two Chains feature on it. You know, I'll be listening to that. Uh, from what I've read, I'm not really the biggest Eminem guy, but the early reviews since this album leaked, they are not good. Most people think it's pretty terrible. Um, have you ever been an Eminem guy? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. You know, middle school when, like, I was an Eminem guy even when he released encore which was his fourth album after eminem show like there was still i think encore uh, was the last like really really good one right yeah i mean i think a lot of people would say that even that one wasn't that good but like to me like i actually liked eminem show and encore more than his first two and i think a lot of people will tell you that his first two were by far his best uh his first two kind of creeped me out Right, I think to me his first ones, his first couple ones, that they just it's it's too, it's too out there. Yeah, it's, it's too, like I, I mean I respect the storytelling cra- and what crossing some lines, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know it, the the perfect market for Eminem is like middle like boys between the ages of like eleven and seventeen, and it doesn't re- it and it works a lot better when he's kind of unhinged and like clearly like doing a bunch of drugs and stuff like that whereas like now it's like he's trying to put out music for everyone to consume right it just it doesn't who's it who's he's got like he's got an ed sheeran feature on this album yeah like who who is this for who's who's this music for like it's it's, the same fans right i I think think it's for i don't think it's for rap fans i think it's for eminem fans right exactly and i think even though he's released what like three at least like pretty disappointing albums since 
the, you know, the heyday in the early 2000s, like those same people, like I'm still going to check it out, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I can't say the same I'm, for I'm, a lot of guys. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to check it out, but. Um, well, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. I think, I think most people who like the Eminem show a lot will still like, uh, I'll give it a cursory listen. You know, I'm not going to go buy it, but sure. I'll at least check it out. Yeah. I, what was, th- what was his, uh, one from like four or five years ago that had like the Rihanna song. Uh, oh, the like stand there and watch you burn song. Relapse or Re- yeah, they're they're all like somehow tied to just, it, drug. I, I remember like just hearing the single off that album and just being like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like I'm, what I'm doing? getting a headache just like listening to him rap because he's right. he's trying so hard to be like in your face mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's so there's like encore relapse recovery it might have been recovery marshall mathers lp2 and now revival okay yeah so i mean i have no interest in that i mean i so there was the uh i mean this definitely don't want to like get like political or anything but like his cypher that was on like oh god that was terrible the the worst thing about that was that you had people who clearly didn't like who clearly don't like rap music at all coming out and be like, oh, man, that was great. That was great. Like, just because of, like, the political right. message involved. And, and I'm just like, wow, that was, that was so bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that would have been good if it was somebody, <laughs> some anonymous rapper, you know, not Eminem. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we can bash Eminem all we want, but every single one of his albums uh, since the Slim Shady LP has hit number one in the U.S., even the last <laughs> recovery was four times platinum. Marsha Mathers LP was four times platinum, and this one will probably also be four times platinum. So good for Eminem gotta, at the end gotta, of the day. He's got some kind of formula. I don't know. Can you at least humor <laughs> me and check out this Jeezy album? Ooh, Ew, boy, I don't know. Uh, Tough I, call. I, did, I, was look, I was trying to find a leak of it this morning, as, like a, as one does. Is there like a Young Thug mm, guest appearance? Or is there like I don't know. I was looking for the track list today, which is out. Maybe. Kanye? Jeezy's a big feature guy now. Um, but I searched for the track list this morning, and the first thing that came up was a headline: Jeezy gets called out for being anti-Semitic after making comments about quote Jewish cats. This is not how you promote an album: is no, to no. land yourself in an anti-Jew no. conspiracy it's right the, <laughs> right before the, uh, the album comes out. Not a not a great way to really go about promoting anything. Okay, so real quickly, here are the features on this album: uh, T Grizzly. I know you I don't know who, don't that, know who is, that is, but he's kind of an up and comer. Okay. Payroll Giovanni. Don't know. <laughs> Never heard of that guy. Uh, Two Chains. Don't know who that is. Okay. Puff Daddy. <laughs> I do know who that is. Kodak Black. Oh, I, I've heard of him. Uh, he was actually in the news yesterday for bashing Jay Z. So okay. I'll send okay. you a link to that. Okay. YG. YG is yep. pretty good. I, I do like YG. him. I know who YG. Is. Tory Lanez and Rick Ross. I know who one of those people okay. are. Hopefully it's Rick Ross. <laughs> uh, Wizkid and Trey Songs. I I remember Trey Songs from back in the day. Okay. I don't know who Wizkid is. And then finally, the track that I'm sure will grab most of the headlines, J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar are featured okay. on one of okay. these. Uh, both wildly probably, overrated, but I probably, uh, understand why some people like them. I could probably listen to that song. How about I listen to that song? Okay. I'll listen if to the I, Two Chains one. I, you listen to that one. If I really, really, really like it, I might listen to another song on the album. But if it's only like an 8 out of 10, then uh, that'll be it. I'll, I'll take that deal seven days a week. <laughs>